All right, Grace Church, Medina East Campus, 915 service. How you guys doing today? Woo! Well, my name is Dan, and I lead uh, student ministries here at Medina East. And so me uh, and my wife and our awesome team have the privilege of uh, hanging out with students from 6th through 12th grade. And we have like a variety of different environments throughout the week. We just really try to uh, connect kids with the heart of Jesus. And he's doing a lot of really cool stuff. It's uh, it's just a really unique and exciting time in student ministries, and so I'm so grateful to be down here today uh, talking to you about Jesus-y stuff. And like Sarah Best said, if you're, uh, if you're newer or if it's your first time, we just count it such a like, legit honor and privilege that you would take time out of your schedule to come hang out with us, check us out. So we hope you feel welcome, whether you're like a, a hardcore follower of Jesus or you're just trying to investigate and figure it out. We're just so glad to have you here, and we hope you feel uh, welcome. We love you. And we've been in a series called uh, Patterns That Change Us. And, and what we've been saying, kind of the big idea in the series, is that Jesus didn't just come to die to forgive us of sin, which he most certainly did, and which is a huge deal. In fact, we believe here at Medina East that Jesus is who he claims to be, and that by dying on a cross, he forgives us of sin and gives us the chance to have a renewed and reconciled relationship with God. So it's a big deal. But he didn't just do that. He also came to live to show us uh, how to live, to kind of teach and exemplify these different patterns that change us. And so what we're doing is observing the things that he talked about, the things that he showed us, and we're trying to figure out, man, how can we allow those patterns to inform how we live and, and do our deal? And so that's what we've been doing. And, and today is actually the last, uh, last uh, kind of conversation in, in the series, and we're kind of talking about this idea of work uh, and rest. And so last week, Steve... Uh, did a really good job of talking about work and what it looks like to, to work and, and to strive toward uh, really like honoring God in the way that you work. Today I get the, the really uh, kind of cool privilege of talking about rest. What does it look like to rest uh, in light of Jesus and what he has done? And so I'm really excited to talk about that, especially because I am personally in need of a little bit of rest myself. Pretty recently, me uh, and my team got a chance to take a really sweet group of high school kids uh, to this retreat, kind of like a conference called Momentum. And here's a picture of our whole crew. It was really sweet. We had 31 kids and, and seven total leaders. And it was like really, really fun. And, uh, you know, we got to hear from a lot of really cool speakers. God really moved in a powerful way. During that week, it was in Indiana. And so, you know, we got a bunch of vans and loaded them all up and took a bunch of kids uh, to Indiana for this conference, right? And, you know, you get to stay up late. You got to get up early. You run around the campus all day. There's like emotional highs. There's spiritual highs. It's like this really intense thing. There was one moment when a group of boys was like stampeding through the dorms. I got the cops called on me. It was good. It was good. It was, we, were, we were into that kind of stuff. In student ministry. And so, you know, whatever. It was amazing. It was just overwhelmingly amazing, and, and I was blessed to have a chance to be a part of that. But, you know, that kind of stuff will tucker you out. I'm not a spring chicken. I know I look young. I moisturize, and so it seems like I'm younger than I am, but, you know, I'm an old man. I'm an old, cranky old man, and so I'm tired. And, uh, and so when we got, my wife and I got home, and I kept thinking to myself, you know, like, we got everything done. The vans are back to the rental place. We got the keys back, whatever. Nobody died. We got everything loaded up. We're good. We're back. I kept thinking to myself, I can rest because it's finished. The retreat is over. The conference is over. We're back. Everybody's done. You know, we're good. It was, it was a powerful experience. I can rest because it's finished. But to be honest with you, I had a big struggle uh, in finding rest even when I got home. To be totally honest with you, uh, it's a real challenge for me to, to kind of turn off and to unplug, even when something really cool, and this is honestly maybe the, up to this point, like the highlight of my career, 
Uh, I've been doing student ministries for about three years, and I've heard nothing but encouragement and, and love from the people I work with. So, so many people I work with are just really great people and, and encouraging and, um, and loving. But even in spite of the fact that this was like the pinnacle, basically, of my career up to this point, and in spite of the fact that everybody around me, from the students to the parents to everybody, they love me and they encourage me, I constantly, if I'm being honest, kind of have this nagging sense of like insecurity and fear that I'm not, that I'm not doing enough and that I'm not achieving enough. I, for some reason, I always feel like, man, I, I got to do more. I got to strive and continue to achieve and continue to do, to do more. I, ha- I've, I have yet to hit the mark until I, like, am on the cover of, you know, Youth Pastor Quarterly or something. I haven't, I haven't made it. You know, I got to get, I'm not, I'm not on, you know, Jimmy, Jimmy uh, Fallon or something like that. You know what I mean? And so th- there's always that tension in me. And I think, honestly, a lot of us in this room, in fact, maybe all of us in this room, in one way or another, have this kind of sense of striving or, or longing to get to the next level. I think we're always feeling almost kind of exhausted. I'm so, oh, backwards. That's all right. Everybody say, whoops. I just made a mistake on my PowerPoint. I went backwards instead of forwards. And I'm exhausted with those mistakes. It's like we all feel exhausted because we're trying to strive and to achieve and to, like, prove that we can make it to the next level or to the next status, you know. And I think this occurs in some way because of the culture that we're living in. I think we're living in a moment in time right now where the, the general message is you have to strive to achieve, to accomplish, to prove yourself. Any, any thought that you have, any idea that you have, any, any possible success that you can have, you need to strive to accomplish, to achieve that. And if you don't, you're not, you're, you're not living up to your full potential. You need to strive and accomplish. And I was reading an article in uh, NBC News about this by this uh, psychoanalyst whose name is Josh Cohen. And he said that that is the message of our culture. The message is you have to strive and you have to keep going and you have to be successful. And so this is what he says. He said, the effect of this kind of message, this message that we must strive to achieve and that we can't ever stop, we have to keep going, we can't rest, we have to keep going. The effect of this kind of message is ambiguous. It can spur ambition and achievement, but it can also leave the recipient of it forever feeling as though they're falling short, that they could do more attain more, be more. And of course, this is the maxim of our entire culture, amplified at every moment by the ideals of beauty, accomplishment, talent, and taste, perfect homes, bodies, families, jobs, beamed at us from magazine pages, TV screens, and social media feeds. He says the message that we can work harder and be better at everything, even rest and relaxation, results in a strange composite of exhaustion and anxiety, a permanent state of dissatisfaction with who we are and what we have, and it leaves us feeling that we're servants rather than masters of our, of our work, and not just of our waged employment, but of the unending work we put into achieving our so-called best selves. And, you know, as I was reading that, I was thinking, like, yeah, man, I, I feel that. I feel like everywhere around me there are these messages that I've got to achieve and I have to accomplish and that no matter what I do, there's this kind of composite of anxiety and and fear that I'm not getting it done and I'm not working hard enough. And I think for me, it really manifests itself when I ask the question, what exhausts me or what exhausts us? It results in a lot of really specific things that really drain me down. And so, for example, you know, this is me and maybe, maybe you can relate. I feel like I'm exhausted by trying to keep up with the news and social media 
I keep up with society's expectations, uh, striving for acceptance, justifying our shortcomings. I feel like I, lot of, I put a lot of energy. If I, if I make a mistake or if I, you know, if I struggle in some way, I try to, f- to figure out some kind of formula to justify why I'm not like, on the level I should be. I feel like it's hard for me to, to, to rest because I'm constantly managing my image or trying to keep a running tab of other people's opinions of me. I'm always thinking, man, what, okay, of the list of people I know, what do they think about me? And how do I, how can I adjust the way that they, that they think about me? You know what I mean? And, and even controlling our environment, I put a lot of effort into these things. And I think that these are the kind of things, honestly, that have the potential to really burn us out. I think we're a culture sort of perpetually flirting with, with burnout. And if we're not careful, these things can, can take our hearts and can take our minds mixed with the message that we're hearing that, man, you've got to strive and you have to achieve and you have to accomplish. And these, this can lead us down a pretty scary path. I think it can burn us out. And eventually, if we're not careful, this kind of stuff can slowly, subtly, but really surely bring us down. And so I'm here to tell you that that's a little bit of a bummer, you know, a little bit of a bummer way to start a sermon. But luckily... God has a response to that. And Jesus, the Bible has, has a take on, on how to deal with this and how to, and how to interact with uh, something even bigger than these, these stresses that, that affect us. And so that's what I'm here to talk to you guys about. I'm here to talk to you about uh, good news in light of the stress that we, all, that we all face. And so if you brought a Bible, if you want to get to Matthew chapter 11, uh, that's where we're going to be hanging out uh, in our talk today. Um, Matthew is a really cool uh, book of the Bible. It's like an ancient biography of the life uh, and teachings of Jesus, so it's really cool. Matthew 11 uh, in your Bibles or your devices or whatever. And if you didn't bring a Bible, that's no big deal. You can just take one uh, from uh, under the chairs in front of you or beneath you there. Uh, get to Matthew 11 on page 682 uh, in those. And we say this every week. If you don't own a Bible, like just straight up don't own a copy of, of God's Word, we want you to take that black Bible and make it a gift from us to you. I think it's super duper important that you have a copy of God's Word. So please take your, take your black Bible, write, it, write your name in it, and, and make it your own. All right, so uh, at this part in, in Matthew, right before what we're about to read, Jesus basically says he speaks with the authority of God. He puts himself on the same level as God Almighty and says, hey, look, the things that I'm saying, you really need to pay attention to those because I'm speaking with a profound divine authority. And so I think because we're about to hear these words of, of divine authority, it would be more than appropriate to just pray really quick and ask God to illuminate the truth of what he is about to teach us. So let's pray real quick here. Well, Lord, thank you for... Um, what you're about to teach us, God, I, uh, man, I want to learn from you. And I know that I, I Lord, don't, I, I don't follow you perfectly. I'm trying to learn how to embrace you even in the midst of uh, anxiety, even, even, Lord, in, in the midst of, uh, you know, the, the, the anxiety of trying to preach a perfect sermon right now. Lord, I want to I do a good job and be the best ever, you know. But I recognize, Lord, that you, uh, you, are tr- you, you transcend that and you're bigger than that. So help us all. Father, in this room to just recognize where we're at uh, in, in, in our moment right now and how you, you, you know, what your response to that is because you're real cool and real good. So illuminate your word. You're the king. Amen. All right. So in light of our anxiety and in light of where we're at in our, in our culture, this moment of like go, 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 strive, 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 this is what Jesus uh, has to say to us uh, today. He says, come to me. All you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. In the midst of the chaos, in the midst of the confusion in our lives, he says, come to me. 
And when he talks about rest here, I think it's really, it's, it's confusing for us, I think, again, because we're living in a culture that's so go, 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 we sometimes confuse rest and relaxation. And so maybe when you hear the word rest, what you're thinking is like, oh, yeah, I know about rest. You just put on your sweatpants and eat some Funyuns and Netflix, you know, stranger things all day long, right? But rest actually, as Jesus describes it here, is infinitely more uh, significant and deep and weighty. And so uh, one Bible dictionary I was looking at described rest this way. It says the sense uh, of security and peace that flows from a right relation with God the Father through obedience to his son, the Messiah, and membership in his kingdom. And so it isn't just chilling out and doing nothing, but it's an embrace of, of a participation in the kingdom of God the rule and the reign of the God of the universe and a sense of, of peace and security, knowing that you're connected to God himself. And I'm here to tell you, I, I need that really bad. And that sounds awesome, but I struggle with it and I strive with it. I, I think a lot of times, man, this, this is never gonna be true of me. I can never, I can never get, get into this, but it's available for us. Jesus is saying, come, come to me. You're invited to participate in this peace and in this security. And so I think this is a really powerful verse. It's like a very, very famous verse. And what I'd like to do for just a few minutes is reflect on each one of the words in it because I think each one of these words, man, if, we, if, if I, if we could allow ourselves to be affected by the things that Jesus is saying, I think it would have a tremendous, actually eternal impact on, on, on the course of our existence. And so starting with the first word, even the first word here, come, come to me. What you gotta notice is that it's an invitation it's a legit invitation to everybody that is hearing him. Back then, 2,000 years ago, as he spoke, and in this moment right now, in this room, Jesus is alive. These words are true. These are the words of God. And he's giving you a legit invitation to come to him. And notice that he doesn't say, get it together and then come to me. He doesn't say, clean yourself up or, or dry yourself out and then you'll be allowed to come to me. He doesn't say drop the anxiety and drop the addiction and then you'll be in a category where you're allowed to come to me. He doesn't say learn, you gotta, hey look, maybe you can come to me but first you gotta learn all the church words, you gotta learn all the Bible verses, read the Bible all the way through and then you can come to me. He doesn't say you need to be consistent at church for a whole year and then you'll be maybe at a status where you can come to me, learn the Christian subculture and then you can come to me. He doesn't say, you got to hear this, he doesn't say, send me your resume, I'll review it, tell me everything you've ever done, I'll review it, and if you have enough gold stars, then maybe I'll schedule an interview and you can come to me. No, he says, come, just as you are right now, you're invited, come. And he doesn't say, come to a better understanding of time management or come to some kind of place of uh, mindfulness or to your own uh, personal view of spirituality. He doesn't say come to like the best, you know, whatever, the, the, the best, most mindful version of yourself. He doesn't say you have to come to terms with the paradoxes and the complexities of modern life and just kind of tune out. No, he says come to me. This is a direct line of invitation from the God of the universe to you. A legit invitation for you to come, you're invited just as you are with your scars and your baggage and your relational shrapnel and your regrets and, and, and your fear and your anxiety. Come to me, come to the living, true king of the universe, a direct line of invitation 
totally legit in this moment, come to Jesus. And he says, all you who are weary and burdened. So of the people in this room who are stressed out and who are anxious and who feel like, you know, you don't have it together. You feel like you, you, you never can attain enough status and, you, you know, once I, you know, I'll never be able to get there or to be worth it. Man, I, I, I'm burdened and I'm weighed down. I wish, I wish I would be in a category of people who would be invited. He says, you're the people that are invited. All you who are weary and burdened, 100% of you, including me, we're all invited in. All you who are weary and burdened. And he says, I will. Again, <laughs> these are the words of God. And when God says something, it comes true. Numbers says, God is not a man that he should lie. He says, Has I, have I spoken and will I not do it? Have I, have I spoken and will I make, not make it come true? This is, this is Jesus saying, I absolutely, with 100% confidence, as somebody who speaks with the authority of God, will give you rest. It's a bona fide offer and it's available to you. I will give you rest. And he's not going to charge you for it. He's not going to put you on some kind of payment plan. He's not going to like you know, try to, try to figure out how to manipulate it so maybe you can't get in on this deal. He wants to hook you up out of nothing more than an, a desire to, to, and just out of an overflow of his love, he seeks and he desires to grant you this participation in his kingdom and the security and the peace that comes with following him. Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. It's amazing. And this idea of rest uh, is like a theme that is woven through all of Scripture. And so from the very first pages of the Bible all the way through to literally the very last part of the Bible, this idea of rest in light of the power and the majesty and and the strength of God and the the reality that he both wants to work and to achieve things that are good and also enjoy the things that he has done, uh, uh, you know, in, in rest, it's there everywhere in the Bible. And so there's another really significant place where this idea of rest is found. And again, it's woven into creation. It's woven into the nature of God. And so the very first book of the Bible, uh, Genesis, says that God created the universe, that he spoke and the universe came into existence. And that was real work. And that after he had done that work, in light of the fact that he had completed what he started, the Bible says this, Genesis 2, by the seventh day, God had finished the work he had been doing. So on the seventh day, he rested from all his work. And so even knit into the fabric of existence is the idea of, of resting. And the idea here, again, it isn't just some idle, like just hang out and chill, like I'm some kind of lazy, lazy guy. He, he looked at what he had done and the fact that he had put the good work into creating the universe. And he surveyed what he had created and he said, I have done this thing. It's good. I can rest. It kind of reminds me of like maybe a time I would be spreading mulch or something. I don't know if you guys have ever like spread mulch or like clean boxes out of the garage or something like that. You have some kind of project and it's sort of daunting, but you do it, right? There's a big pile of mulch and it's got to get into all the different beds, right? And then over the course of the day on a Saturday or whatever, you do it. It's hot. It's sweaty. It's kind of annoying. You get mulch in your face or whatever. But by the end of the day, all the different beds like have the right mulch and you can step back and look at it and you're all like kind of itchy and sweaty and gross or whatever, and you say, ah, like, it's finished. I've done, I did it. There's no more mulch to spread. 
right? And, and God, uh, in, this, in this part of the Bible, it says, man, he's done, there's nothing left to do. It's finished. He's done it. And so he can rest, not idly, but just because he's accomplished what he set out to do. It's finished. And again, this word finished has incredibly significant um, implications. And there's another place, again, in the Bible where this word finished is, is, linked to, is linked to the absolute heart of what it means to be a human being living in the world that we're living in and linked to the problem that we face and linked to the solution that is available for us. And so in John uh, chapter 19, the Bible says that when he, that is Jesus, had received the drink... When he was hanging on the cross, Jesus said, it is finished. It is finished. And with that, he bowed his head and he gave up his spirit. And so the Bible says that Jesus, the moment before he died, hanging on a cross to forgive sin, when he had done the work that was necessary to reconcile a broken and sinful world to a righteous and holy God, when he had done what was necessary to make all things new, to forgive sin, to draw us into his love, to make, to make you new, to give you the potential to have interaction with God and to have a reconciled and renewed relationship with him. When Jesus had done the tremendous work of accomplishing that for you and for me and for us, he said, it is finished. In the same way that the Bible declares it finished when God created the universe, Jesus said it is finished when he did what was necessary to recreate the universe and to recreate you and me. And the cross is not only an instrument of, of destruction, it's also an instrument of recreation. And it's available for you to become new in light of the finished work of Jesus. And so if you're new to the Bible thing or the Jesus thing, I'm here to tell you that Jesus is God. And this is how the story goes. In the beginning, God created everything and it was so sweet and good. He created out of an overflow of his love and desire to have relationship with you. Humanity exists to be recipients and objects of God's love. And even though that's sweet, he also gave humanity the opportunity to either follow him in love and obedience or to do our own thing. And the Bible says that all of us have chosen to go astray. All of us like sheep have gone astray. Each of us has turned to his own way. But... The fact that that sin separates us from God and the fact that, that we can't, you know, we're, there, there's a tension and there's like a fracture between our relationship and God. The Bible says that God gave us a way to have a renewed and reconciled relationship with him. And so the Bible says that Jesus, he who was without sin, became sin for us on the cross right here at this moment right here. At the moment before Jesus says it is finished, he allowed, somehow allowed all of sin to be placed on him in one moment so that God could deal with it and put it to death. And on the cross, Jesus does what is necessary. He does the work that is necessary to defeat Satan, to defeat sin, to defeat death. That's some work. But then he says, it is finished. There's nothing more to do. It is finished. And so for those of us in this room that follow Jesus, we can say, you know what? It is finished. I don't need to strive anymore. I don't need to worry anymore. I can experience the rest that he has purchased for me and the work that he has done. And for those of you that are investigating and trying to figure it out, what I'm telling you, you know, I don't know what you're, exactly what your concept of Jesus stuff is, but it's not about working. It's about receiving the gift of his love and resting in his finished work. And so if you're investigating, that's what it's about. It's about being a recipient of a gift. 
And so you can say, for those of us that follow Jesus or, or those of us who are what the Bible says in Christ, have, have a renewed relationship with Christ, we can say with confidence and truth, I can rest because it is finished. I can have a renewed relationship with God and, 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 and you know, this striving to prove something is over. It's been proven already. Jesus did the work. He made me new. And I can rest because it is finished. And so that's very compelling. And that's basically, that's my story. And, and I'm sticking to it, you know. But the question is, okay, how? How do we allow this, this rest to actually become a part of our lives? You know, maybe, maybe you're somebody in this room that does follow Jesus and you're like, yeah, man, I know, but I still struggle to find rest. Or, or maybe you're investigating and you're like, okay, I'm intrigued, but what would that even look like? And so what I'd like to do for the rest of our time is just talk about like the practical ways that you can embrace this rest. And I'm just going to get as, as practical as I know how to get about ways to engage uh, with this rest. And so one practice or one way that you can, or, or one kind of pattern that changes us that you can embrace that, that kind of gives you a, a sort of reorientation to, to the fact that, that Jesus is our rest is this practice called Sabbath. All right, Sabbath. And Sabbath is a word that you probably don't hear a whole lot, like, outside of the walls of a church. It's not, you know, you don't really throw, throw the word Sabbath around at the bowling club too much, all right? And so I'm going to give you a quick definition in the way that we're using it uh, uh, today. Again, Jesus is, uh, ultimately, Jesus is our Sabbath rest. But I just want to give you a definition of what we're talking about today. And so Sabbath is the practice of observing one day in seven as a time for rest and worship, the practice uh, apparently originated in creation because God created the universe in six days and rested on the seventh. And by this act, God ordained a pattern for living that people should work six days each week at subduing and ruling the creation and should rest one day a week. Because in, in light of the fact that, that, God, the style, that God's style is to work six and rest one, and then ultimately, in light of the fact that my striving can be finished because of the finished work of Jesus, I should pick a day and rest. Experience the peace and the security that comes along with being a follower of Jesus. And so, I'm not going to get super duper heavy into the nitty gritty details of it, but Pastor Tony did a couple years ago uh, in this uh, series called Creatures of Habit. So if you don't have it, you can get the Grace Church app. If you just go to Grace Church uh, 30 and 30 and search for the Creatures of Habit series, you can, you can find this sermon called Creatures of Sabbath. And Tony does an amazing job of, like, outlining the whole history and all the different, like, nuances of it. And it's a really phenomenal and sweet uh, sermon. So I highly recommend, if you're interested at all, that you check that out. But for our purposes today, I'm just going to go kind of really quickly through what it looks like. And so in Exodus uh, chapter 20, this is where the, the Ten Commandments uh, hang out. Uh, God says, remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. And holy, as we're using it right now, it just, it just kind of means like set apart. It means like there's something different about this day. Take, pick a day, pick a Sabbath and make it holy, set apart. Six days you shall labor and do all your work. But on the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, neither you nor your son or daughter, anybody, nor your male or female servant, nor your animals, nor any foreigner. This is an important deal. Nobody. Take a break. For in six days, the Bible says, look, this is woven into creation. In six days, God made the heavens and the earth, the sea and all that is in them. But he rested on the seventh day. Therefore, the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and he made it holy. 
And so this is what, again, what God is inviting us into is his vibe and his style to take a chill pill and rest in the, in the, in the vision of the fact that that's how God operates. And so I'm, I'm recommending that, that what you do and what the Bible is teaching you, not out of some dutiful obligation, but because it will bless you and give you an experience of his peace, is to pick a day, to look at your schedule and pick a day. And so you might be like, okay, that sounds pretty good, but how do I actually do it? How do I take a Sabbath? Like, pr- practically speaking, how do I do it? And I think the most practical, honestly, I think the most practical thing that anybody could ever do in your life is to start by embracing Jesus, right? He says, come to me. You're, you're, you're stressed out. You're, you're, you're under this, these burdens, these various burdens. Maybe they're subtle. Maybe they're very clear. But he says, come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. And so I would start by embracing Jesus. Put your faith in him and come to an understanding of him. And if you have any questions about that or if you're trying to figure it out, that's what this church exists to do, to help you navigate that and learn and grow. We're not here to criticize you for not knowing what you, you, know, you think you're supposed to know or to like get up in your grill because you don't like have it all together. We're here to help you and to help you grow. So embrace Jesus. And then I would say, even if you are just trying to figure it out, this also is a good pattern to, to, to kind of implement anyway. Uh, but I would say keep one day holy. Take, take, take one day out of your week and say that is going to be a day that is different, holy, like set apart. And so the things that I normally strive to accomplish, the emails and the phone and keeping up with all the different things that are happening in the world and getting people places and buying things and managing things and being an adult or whatever, just let that go. And, and it allow uh, there to be something to, to, to be uh, decisively different about one day uh, a week. And so, you know, you gotta, be, you gotta be consistent. This is something that I think to, to maybe the, a lot of the, the people in this room, this is like a new concept to you. And so to say, I'm going to consistently strive to try to, to not strive, right? I'm going to put, or the Bible would say, labor to enter into that rest, to put effort in to, to p- picking a day to, to, to keep separate. And so, you know, I mean, maybe some of you think, you know what, that, that sounds cool. I'll just... I'll just do it as I need it, you know, like maybe occasionally once a month or something or whatever, I'll, I'll take a day and kind of chill out. But man, I don't need to do this once a week. But I'm telling you, this is woven into the nature of creation and it's built into the fabric of your DNA to, by God. God made you to be a person who experiences his rest. So be consistent. And even if you have a schedule that changes, you know, try and figure out, get out your calendar and try to figure out like when, okay, when is a day that I can take a break and like and really pause and reflect on and enjoy the things of God. And, and you know, you might be thinking, well, I thought, you had, I thought maybe it was supposed to be like some particular day of the week. Like, does that matter? And, and it's really cool. Actually, Paul in uh, Romans chapter 14 says, it doesn't really matter what day of the week it is as long as you decide, like, man, this is a day that I am setting apart to be, to be holy to God, set uh, different. And pursue it. Don't give up. You gotta, this, this is something I'm telling you. I, I almost feel like, like not worthy of, give, of talking about this because I do this so imperfectly. I try to have a, a weekly Sabbath with my family on Thursdays, but a lot of times I find myself, it's, it's a real, it's a, it's a discipline and it's a pattern that you really need to work at because, man, I, I sway from this really easily and I allow myself to get sucked into being anxious and to worrying about things and stuff and so you gotta continue to pursue it. And so you might be like, all right, that sounds good, but what do I actually do? Like, what do I actually do? Say I, have, I pick a day. 
but what do I actually do on that day? And so now I'm going to get as obnoxiously practical as I know how to get because uh, I think it's, it's really hard for us. I think we're a culture that has trouble no, even knowing how to rest. And so there are even, even in the idea of rest or this participation in, in God's finished work, there are different like categories of rest. And so the first category you might want to think about is just completely unplanned. You got a day, you got it set aside, this is my day. Okay, wake up, what do I do? And I think it's really liberating and cool and fun to actually just do whatever comes into your heart and mind to do at that moment. And so maybe you don't set the alarm, you know. You just wake up whenever you wake up. Maybe, you know, your kids come in and wake you up or whatever. You just, the sunrise wakes you up. And, you know, you're staring at the ceiling of uh, your bedroom and you're like, huh, look at that texture, textured ceiling. Why is my, why is my bedroom ceiling bumpy and my bathroom ceiling uh, smooth? You could spend like 20 minutes doing that if you wanted to. <laughs> it's really great. I do that every day, but that's just because I'm neurotic. No, I'm kidding. Or whatever. You just do whatever. And then you can like, just like, this is, this is what God wants for you. Just randomly walk around and look at stuff and pause when something is interesting. So you get up, whatever. The birds are, <laughs> the birds are chirping. Yeah, you go outside for a walk. You're like, oh, look at that rock. That looks like kind of like a heart. And they just keep going. You can do that. God wants you to look at rocks. All right. So the goal, hey, whatever. The goal is to like discover the wonder of what it's like to be like, check this out. Like we're on a marble floating through space. <laughs> like there's crazy stuff everywhere that you could just enjoy. Like just look around like, wow, the sky and you could get kind of, go kind of hippie on it if you want. You know, that's, it's up to you. Just do whatever you want. You know, not, not idly just to be lazy, but because there's joy and there's wonder in the things all around you. Allow yourself to become a little kid and to just be filled up with the rest of enjoying what, what uh, you know, wherever your mind goes. And there's other kinds of work, uh, rest too that, again, it sometimes it, it almost sounds like, oh man, what are you telling me to do all this stuff? But no, I'm just saying, whatever charges you up in light of God's finished work, do that. And so there's this kind of rest called avocational rest. And so maybe like if you work with your hands, you know, I used to uh, pour concrete. And so maybe if you're in a trade or you do something where you do a lot of physical labor all day, you might want to use your mind to kind of just uh, unwind and, and pursue something you might norm not normally have time to do. So like you might want to learn to play an instrument. You know, you, you may have always thought, man, I've always had a secret dream to play the oboe, but it's been, you know, it sounds like it'll be too much work. Like it doesn't have to be work. You can just enjoy it. You don't have to be you know, the first chair oboist in the Cleveland Symphony Orchestra. You could just pursue it for fun because it brings you joy. Even if you don't get that great at it, you can just enjoy and rest or learn how to play chess or write essays or whatever. You could just enjoy the fact that, man, I don't have to prove or achieve anything. I've been given the opportunity to restfully reflect on the things of God and I can just enjoy him in that way. Or maybe, you know, if you work maybe in a cubicle or you do a lot of think, you know, kind of mind work, you could uh, pursue some kind of physical uh, rest and just do like woodworking or, or go, go out on a hike. A lot of them, I'll tell you, I, I can remember so, I can see it right now so vividly uh, on, on uh uh, one of the Sabbaths that I had with, with my family, uh, going to a park and just kind of going on a slow hike and enjoying everything around us and enjoying uh, the company of my family. You know, it's, there, there's rest there and you can pursue it and you need to, 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 to diligently seek 
to experience the rest in, in all these different ways. Or gardening. Some people have a real uh, a connection with God when they get into the dirt and just really uh, allow themselves to just restfully reflect on the things of God and plant petunias or whatever. And it's available to you for, for real. Like you could, it's good. God wants you to rest and to enjoy what you enjoy. Um, another type of rest is contemplative. And again, these are all just like, these are all just categories. You can mix them in however you want. And, and whatever, as, as you pursue Jesus throughout the rest of your life, you know, you'll, you'll get to discover and work and, and, and find different experiences of his rest. And so contemplative is another style where maybe you spend some time just in a different restful way, just praying, him and, praying to him and thanking him for, for the rest that he's given you. Or uh, spending time just by yourself, maybe just like reading a, a book of the Bible that you wouldn't normally read in kind of a slow way. Not, again, not in some kind of agenda like, oh man, I got to get through Jeremiah like today or God's not going to love me. But just because, wow, I've never, I've never really slowly read through Jeremiah. That's kind of, huh, that's kind of an interesting book or whatever. And that's available to you. Or like communion, me and my family, we spent like about a year uh, doing communion every Sabbath. And it was so, it was such a cool time. And I was actually, as I was preparing for this talk, I was kind of feeling a little bit like, man, why don't we do that anymore? It was so cool to just hang out with my family, no pressure, and just really reflect on what Jesus had done in communion. So that's available to you. Again, it's not, none of this stuff is checklisty. None of this stuff is like you have to do these things. But these are just different categories of rest that you can experience in light of what Jesus has done. Another kind of rest is aesthetic and so really think about and just enjoying, God, enjoying God's lavish gifts of beauty all around you. Even though we live in a broken world, there still remains an incredible, overwhelming uh, resonance of his love and, cre- and beauty and creation. And so, you know, take, just take time to soak in the beauty of nature. Just, just receive it. Receive the gift of the beauty of nature or of, of food and drink. I mean, God in his coolness, decided to deliver nutrients to you in a tasty package. And so you can experience the beauty of food. Maybe take a a really long time without any pressure and just cook a meal you wouldn't normally cook just to experience rest in that way. Or art or movies, literature. Maybe you just really want to read like a Jane Austen novel or something. You know what I mean? Like you're, oh, that would would take too much work. It would take too much work. Just... It, would, it just takes rest, and, and you can just enjoy it. Another thing you might want to do is just even really pursue, like, music or, or adjusting light. Or I really like smells. I like to de- diffuse uh, essential oils. I don't know if I'm the only one in this room, but, you know, get into some kind of eucalyptus or something like that. And I tell you what, I rediscovered bubble baths yesterday because I knew I was going to tell you guys to take bubble baths as an option. And I'm telling you, Bubble baths don't get too much publicity, but they're great. So you might want to think about lavender scented Epsom salt. These are options for you. And so God wants you to take a lavender Epsom salt bath every once in a while. You're allowed. He wants you to because it is finished, all right? And relation, oh yeah, and finally relational, right? And so, again, I think even in our relationships, we're constantly like, I mean, for me at least, I'm like, okay, this relationship is in this category and I have to like, I have to work on it enough and then I do this next thing. But I think it's really important to pursue uh, even friends in a way that experiences the joy of just intentionally restful time. I think kids do this really well. I, you know, you observe the way that, that kids interact with each other 
they're, they're, they're free and they're unconstrained by the concerns of proving something or achieving something. And they can just like have, really have fun just like running around in a circle. I don't know if you guys have ever watched a little kid just run, literally run around in a circle. <laughs> That's like a thing. You should, you should try that. No, you don't. Whatever. I don't know where I even am anymore. Anyway, yeah, oh yeah. Just have fun with your friends. Or even, oh yeah, this is, I'm stoked about this. Like I know people have, uh, like, or a lot of people have uh, Taco Tuesday, you know. That's like a thing that people do, Taco Tuesday. So I'm suggesting that we institute Strudel Sabbath. I'm so hyped about that joke. Or sun, I was thinking about, uh, it was either going to be that joke or sundown, sundown, uh, wait, let me get it right here. S- get, sorry, this is important to me. <laughs> sundown Sabbath uh, sherbet. I can't, even, I can't even deliver the joke good. Sundown Sabbath sherbet. You can think about that. I don't know. Make it tradition, whatever. Just do something stupid. I don't know. And even with your kids, you could just build a legit fort in the living room. Again, I have a distinct memory of this one day. Some, somehow, by the power of the Holy Spirit, God was like, Dad, chill out and make a fort with your kids in a restful way. Like, don't be annoying, just chill out. And I was like, yes, Father, I will. And I, we like took a long time and made this legit fort in our, in our living room, in our old apartment. And it was like a real sweet memory that we have because God blessed me for the one time in a million that I really embraced his rest. And we just made the sweet fort. My wife made some cool food and we just hung out and it was like the most legit fort ever. So do that. Or even if you're married, you might want to think about like a date night with your spouse, maybe even taking that romance dial and turning it up a notch or two, you know, once a week, just like, hey, we're, we love each other. God gave us uh, one another to, to enjoy and to, and to really get to know in a deeper way. And so you might want to pursue your, your spouse in a restful way on Sabbath. And, you know, like, like we're saying, Sabbath is a, is a 24-hour period of time once a week. And so God made you. God made your spouse. He knows the things that are enjoyable in a marriage relationship. And so, I mean, you got 24 hours. I want to slow down and enjoy each other. You know, PG-13. So there you go. That's, there's all kind of, whatever, unlimited amount of stuff that you could do. But it's not, you don't have to do any of these things. You can just enjoy the finished work of God. All right? That's, that's, what, I'm, that's what I'm trying to get to you here. So I'm going to invite the band up uh, at this time. And as they're kind of getting locked, in, locked and loaded, I would just like to, to say to you genuinely that Sabbath is awesome. Sabbath is awesome. I'm, I'm trying, I'm so imperfectly trying to figure out how to let this like affect my life because I do believe that it's finished, it's done, and that I can rest. But, you know, I'm, we're, not, we're all trying to figure it out and trying to get there, but it's available to you. Sabbath is awesome. And so imagine how it could change your life for real. Imagine if you genuinely embrace the fact that it's finished, I don't have to strive, the kind of impact that you could have on your family if you consistently made a decision to just rest and enjoy them. The, the kind of margin that you could have to love your community and, and the kind of impact that you could have uh, even in your workplace if you knew that, man, I'm no more than six days away from a lavender bubble bath. Like that, you know, I, I'm, I'm always tuned up and ready to love, to love that person at work or to, or, to put in, or to put in the good work that I need to put in at work to do a good job and to be, uh, you know, consistent and have integrity. Imagine what, you could, imagine what your life could be like. Imagine what this church would look like if we were a group of people who were well-rested 
and well-rested and steeped in an experience of the peace and the security that comes along with the finished work of Jesus. And that's available to us. We can say with confidence and with truth and with assurance, I can rest because it's finished. It's finished. It's done. And Jesus wants you to know, and I'm telling you, these are the, these are the eternally resounding words of almighty God to you right now. This is what God wants you to know. He's saying, come to me. This is an invitation. Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, thank you for being awesome. And even in our imperfect striving, you come to us. You work your way to us. You do the work so that we can rest. And so, God, even in this moment, I feel uh, such a longing, Lord, such a thirst and such a desire to experience that. Lord, I've tasted, I feel like I've, I've, I've just started to, to nick away at the very tip of the iceberg, Lord, and I want more, and I need you to, to work on me to do that. And so I feel like probably all of us need help in, in order to really embrace the rest that you have for us. So please give it to us. We need you. I lift up the person in this room that might just be investigating you to come to an awareness of the beauty and the rest that is found in you. And for the person that has followed you for a while or whatever, God, I ask that you give us all rest as we worship and as we go from this place. Change us. Bring us into an experience of your rest. You're the king. Amen.